Good to be back with you guys today. I've enjoyed this uh, this series that we've been going through, looking at these great women of faith in the Old Testament in the Bible, an easer woman, uh, an easer helper, uh, right from the beginning. If you're taking notes, you can go ahead and write this down. An easer helper is a person that is sent to us not just to help and to assist us, but also was sent to rescue us. And as I've gone through these great women of faith in our Old Testament, it makes me think also about these incredible pastors, these incredible leaders that God has led here to PFN. You've heard from uh, Pastor Cheryl and Shauna, uh, but in the coming weeks, you're going to get to hear the heart of Pastor Rebecca, uh, Callie, and Pastor Shelby's going to be coming up. Yay, woo! She's going to kill me for saying that, but... It's going to be a lot of fun. So our story today is about Abigail, and you're going to find her story in 1 Samuel chapter 25. And so go ahead and turn there, 1 Samuel 25. Um, I'm guessing, well, if you're like me, if you're a guy, you like to find things yourself, and you're not going to go to that table of contents in the very beginning if you're not sure where that's at. But So start at the beginning and go about a half inch about a half inch uh, into your Bible, and you're probably going to find Samuel, or if you get to the Kings, first or second Kings, you've gone a little too far for, so first Samuel 25. In fact, uh, while you're there, go ahead and put a little bookmark there. Go ahead and put something, uh, you know, grab an offering envelope, whatever you want. Just put it in there because I want you this week, go back and I want you to also read first Samuel 24 and first Samuel 26. You'll find out why here in a little bit, and you'll find out this week. So the, the setting for 1 Samuel 25 is in the days of David. David has been chosen, uh, anointed as the next king of Israel, but he's not the king yet. He's not serving there yet. Instead, he's being hounded by his predecessor, King Saul. And King Saul is hunting him down because he has become insanely jealous of David's popularity. It all began one day when when David was returning from this victorious battle. He had been fighting the Philistines, the, the enemies of the Israelites. And ironically, David was fighting on behalf of King Saul. And so this is in your notes here. 1 Samuel chapter 8 says, Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and joyful songs with trembles and lyres. And they danced and they sang. And this is what they sang. Saul has slain his thousands and David, his tens of thousands. Now let's pause there for, for a moment because I think this is, gonna, this is a turning point for King Saul. Saul w- was happy. He was glad that there was a parade. He, he was happy about all this. He was happy to have King Dave, or David go out and fight for him. He was happy to have David go and fight for the nation of Israel. He was happy that David was being blessed with victory after victory after victory And he was thrilled that when he came, there was this parade and people came to congratulate King Saul all about this, uh, these victories, because he wanted all the credit. 
Now, you probably have had somebody in your life uh, like that as well. Maybe it was a coworker. Uh, you know, they kind of took a little bit more of the credit than they deserve. Maybe you've had that person in your life. I bet many of you have had that person come into your life and they kind of tend to steal the glory away just a, a little bit when, when you were the one putting in all the effort. I remember once when I was back in, in college, I, we were assigned a group project. Now, I couldn't stand group projects. Uh, that, that wasn't for me. I hated them. They never seemed to work out. And this particular project was about half of a semester long, and it ended up being about a third of our entire grade. So it was an important project. And it took weeks of gathering all of the information and the, the evidence, compiling in the, the data, writing the paper, and then presenting it to the whole class. And there were three of us that were assigned to this project, but it seemed like only two of us ever showed up to do the work. And yes, I was one of those two, in case you were wondering. So two of us had to cover for the third because he, he never seemed to get his stuff down, done. He never showed up when we were collecting evidence and he wasn't there to help write the paper. And so he would be assigned a, por a portion. His deadline would come and it would go and he just never delivered. And then on the presentation day to the class, he stood up with us and it was clear to everyone that he had no clue what he was talking about and what he was doing. And so we had to cover for him again, literally had to take over for him right in the middle of that presentation. And the grades came in and he was super excited that he received an A. He got an A for this, uh, for this whole project, yet he had done nothing that entire semester to deserve his grade. See, he wanted all the credit, but he wasn't going to do any of the work. And that's the same thing for, for King Saul here, because he sent David out to risk his life for the kingdom, and as long as the credit came back to him, he was okay with all of that. He was happy. And he was glad that there was this parade until the women started singing and they pointed out what was obvious to everyone else, that David had done so much more than King Saul. So back to scripture, that verse 8, Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. So they had credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. But they're only crediting me for, for thousands. What, what more can he get? What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time, Saul kept a close eye on David. And so now as time goes on, Saul is getting more and more and more jealous of David. And his contempt for him is growing stronger and stronger and by the time of our text, David and about 600 of his men are on the run and they're trying to escape the sword of Saul. And so here is our story, 1 Samuel chapter 25. It starts out like this, now Samuel died and all the Israel assembled and mourned for him and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down to the desert of Paran. Okay, let's pause here for a second. Samuel is the last judge of Israel. 
If you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about Deborah, who was one of the Israelite judges, this 300-year period where they were ruled by all of these judges. And Samuel was the last judge. After the judges would come this whole set of kings that would rule. And King Saul was the first king, which is fine until right before Samuel dies, he anoints king, he anoints David as the king. But Saul is still king. Do we see the problem here? And Saul's not liking that. So verse 2. A certain man in Moron who had a property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. And she was intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was a surly and mean in his dealings, and he was a Calebite. Nabal was this rich, uh, very wealthy rancher. I doubt his name was very popular during those uh, times because his name literally translates as the fool. So our text informs us that he is a harsh man. He is an evil man. And and I wonder why. (laughs) I blame his parents. Why would you name your kid Nabal? Why would you name your kid fool, right? What were they thinking? But that Hebrew word here, uh, harsh, also means he was cruel, hard-hearted, obstinate, rough, stick-nicked, stubborn. Are you kind of getting the picture of this guy's character? This guy was rotten. He was rotten to the core. In verse 17 of this chapter, it, it says that his own household says that he was a worthless man and no one could speak to him. But believe it or not, This guy is married. He has a beautiful wife named Abigail. Now, what was probably custom in this time was that this was an arranged marriage, but nonetheless, he was married. And Abigail was not only intelligent, but she was beautiful. She had it all. Now, here's the picture. Here's a picture of what we have here. We have this very beautiful, intelligent woman that's married to this cruel and hard-hearted jerk of a guy. We've got a winner that's married to the loser. Verse 4. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So Nabal has come and he's in this town of uh, Carmel and he's shearing this uh, massive herd of sheep. And David's down south a little bit and he's in the wilderness of Paran and he hears that, that Nabal is up north and he's starting to shear the sheep and Why would this be of any concern for him? Well, David and his 600 men, remember, were on the run. They had been living off the land for for weeks now. They've been guarding these sheep of Nabal. And so here's the picture. David and his men are are hiding. They're they're running away from Saul, trying to, to escape. And they go down south for a little while. And here is this huge, gigantic herd of of sheep, and they do the right thing. They could have taken some sheep. They could have robbed the shepherds. They could have done all that, but they did the right thing, and they helped take care of all these sheep, and then they hear that the owner is nearby. He's in this town. He's probably about eight miles away, and and so now it's customary. It was honorable in those days that if somebody helped guard your sheep, that when the time came to finally... uh, 
collect off of those sheep, when it finally came time to shear those sheep, that you would compensate the people that helped guard them. Now, it wasn't mandatory. It was just an ethical thing to do. It was kind of expected for you to do that. And so David is probably thinking that the owner will gladly pay him and his men for their trouble. So look at verse 5. So he, David, sent 10 young men and said to them, go up to Nabal and Carmel and greet him in my name and say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time when your shepherds are here with us. We did not mistreat them. And this whole time uh, they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable towards my men, since we come in a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. So are you kind of beginning to understand the plot? Do Do you kind of have an idea of what's about ready to unfold? And what do you think Nabal, this evil man's response, is going to be? Let's look here at verse 9. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, who is this David? This, who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and, and the meat that I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? Now, Nabal knew who David was. It wasn't a surprise to him who this guy was. He knew David. He'd probably heard about him. He knew David was going to be the king or who he was supposed to be the king. He knew where David came from. He knew his family. And yet he insults David. He insults David's family. And so he's thinking, who is this guy? At least that's what he says. He says he's probably nothing more than just a slave that has escaped. And, and who is this guy? He pretends that David is a nobody. It kind of be like you and I, if we go out to, to lunch after a church today and we go to a restaurant and we spend the entire day there talking, well, at least until 3.30 when we come back for safety night. So we're there all afternoon and we're taking up this table. We're taking table time away from our waitress. And then when we get up to leave, we ignore her and we pretend like she's never existed, like she's never taking care of us at all, except this is worse. David and his men now have spent weeks taking care and guarding this sheep and, and nothing happens. In fact, Nabal Tends, he's ignoring them. Nabal even insults them. Nabal, Nabal is this bigoted and he's stubborn and he's a greedy grump of a guy. Nabal was unkind and he was mean and he really wasn't all that smart. His name fits him. Fool. His reply is not the thing that you're going to say to David and 600 trained fighting men. Right? Okay, he's not real smart. They've worked for him for weeks now. They're, they're starving. They, all they are asking for is for some food. How do we think David's going to react? Let's, let's read here, verse 12. David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. And David said to them, each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped on his as well. 
About 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies. And so David is mad. David is ticked off at Nabal. Uh, And we can probably understand this. We can understand his anger. Back when I was a a teenager, one of my summer jobs was to work at a cafe. Was to work as a waiter in this little summer or this little cafe during the summer. Most of the patrons that would come in were were farmers, and they would just come in for a cup of coffee. But they would end up staying hours, and they would just sit there and talk, and they would drink their their coffee. And and over the hours, I would refill their coffee cups many, many, many times over. Now, I'm going to date myself because a cup of coffee then was 50 cents, right? And so the customary tip was a nickel, okay? A nickel, a nickel for for me uh, filling their cup for hours. Now, occasionally, somebody would throw in a couple extra pennies, and I'd get seven cents. But every once in a while, there was somebody that just got up and left and didn't even leave a nickel, didn't even leave anything. And, and so now that nickel never made a difference in my, in my bank account, really. It was just the thought that, you know, here's this teenager that has, uh, that has served them for hours. And that just, man, it just ate, it got underneath my skin. And, but never did I go to the cook and say, let's go kill him, Alice. <laughs> yes, the cook's name was Alice. All right. But David did. David was so mad, he was ready to kill him. He tells 400 of his men, strap on your swords and we're going to go over to Nabal's place and we're going to settle this score with a serious and apparently inevitable confrontation that's looming. It would would appear that our story now needs a cool-headed and level-thinking, intelligent person to, to intercede and if you, if you would read verses 14 through 17, uh, I'm going to paraphrase for you. Meanwhile, back in the, the ranch down in, up in Carmel, one of Nabal's servants could see what was happening, and he goes to Nabal's wife, Abigail. And the servant asks Abigail to think things over, to see what, see what she can do, because disaster is going to come upon them. David is going to come. Nobody is going to be left alive. Nobody will have their life if David comes up here. And they knew it's a lost cause. They'll never reason with a fool. And verses 18 through 32 tells us that whole story of what happened. And before we look at what she did, I want you to recognize what Abigail didn't do. She didn't just leave. Now, this would have been a perfect opportunity for her to to just get out of Dodge, to to just leave. Maybe she had wanted to from time to time. This was a princess that was married to the toad story, right? And so this would have been a perfect opportunity for her to say, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm going to leave Nabal to get what he deserves, but she didn't. Rather, in verse 18, it says, Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sheaves of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. She went to David. She fell at his feet. Verse 24 says this, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. 
Hear what your servant has to say. Pay, please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He's just like his name. His name means fool and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the, the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed, from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. Let this gift, which your servant has brought to my Lord, be given to the men who follow you. Let's skip down to verse 32. David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment, for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Here's why I want you to go back this week and study 1 Samuel 24 and 1 Samuel 26. It's because both of those uh, chapters book in this potentially horrible situation for David had, or if God had not sent him an helper. If God had not sent him this easier woman, a person of strong faith and determination that she was going to do the right thing, even if it was difficult for her. See, in, in chapter 24, we see David, if you go back and read this story, we see David with this perfect opportunity. He has a perfect opportunity to take Saul's life. In fact, his men beg him to go ahead and kill King Saul. In chapter 26, David finds Saul asleep, and there next to him is a spear in the ground, and he could have killed him if he wanted to. But both times, both times, David gives us a perfect example of patience in the midst of temptation. But in the middle, in, verse, or in chapter 25, he's not only willing to kill Nabal for shaming him, he's willing to erase Nabal's entire family from existence. In chapter 24, his, he talks his men out of performing uh, an unjust mob hit on King Saul. In chapter 25, he needs somebody else to come to him and tell him the exact same thing. And I wonder, I, I wonder how many people here have been guilty of breaking their own advice from time to time. I, I know I have. Even as a preacher, I, I preached a message on Sunday and then found myself convicted by the very words I preached that later on that week. I think we all have some momentary lapses of judgment and faithfulness. It's probably one of the number one arguments against Christianity that I hear. See, the world sees us doing things that we have condemned in other people. It's not that we're trying to be hypocritical. It's just that our human nature pushes us towards a self-preservation. And see, Christians aren't the only people that are accused of hypocrisy. We see it in business and commerce and politics. It's everywhere. 
And God knew our human weakness. He knew the, who we are. He knew our propensity to get into trouble. But he's a good God. Go ahead and write this down. He also provides us with pivot points in our journey. See, God provides us with a chapter 25 moment where we get to evaluate our walk with Jesus. See, David was this uh, household figure. Everybody knew about David. He was well known. In contrast, though, Abigail is a relative nobody. This is her cameo appearance in, in Scripture. If she's ever referred to again, she's always referred to as Nabal's wife or, spoiler alert, David's new wife. See, her identity is always shadowed by the men in her life, yet we celebrate her today because if it wasn't for Abigail, David would have been no different than Saul or Nabal. See, too often when we seek the will of God, we ignore the gifts that he already has placed in our life. If left to ourselves, we can make some really bad decisions, right? See, David was ready to kill an entire family just because he felt insulted. But God is so good to us that he gives us a pivot point in our story. And God is probably saying, David, David, you're not listening to me, David. Stop it. Stop it, David. Don't do this. He's not listening. Send in Abigail. We need somebody else to talk some sense into this guy. Send her in, right? And so it's a good thing that Abigail was the one that was married to Nabal. David needed her to slow his roll a little bit, right? To regroup, to think about what he was doing. David needed a pivot point in his story. And so go ahead and write these down. Next three Real quickly here, God communicates with us in various ways. Probably the two most obvious is God communicates to us through his word, the Bible, and through prayer. God communicates to us all the time through his word and through prayer. See, when you read the word of God, I want you to keep this in mind. When you are reading the words of the Bible, the creator of the universe is using it to talk to you, one of his creation. Don't let that pass you by. God is communicating directly to you. And if you are not taking time in your day to listen to him speak, you're silencing a, a major source of communication that you have you can have with your heavenly father. But another way is he communicates to us in prayer. And prayer is not just us talking to him. Prayer is not supposed to be a one-way communication. But too often prayer becomes that for us. And it has for me, I'm sure it has for you, where prayer just becomes this wish list, right? And uh, we hope that God will change this or that or coordinate this in our life and but that's not all that prayer is. The other half is listening. The other half is listening to, to what God has to say. 
too many sins, too many, too many episodes of foolishness have been preceded by Christians praying about a situation and then going off and behaving or acting on our own feelings or desires instead of listening, instead of taking some time to listen and allow God a chance to speak. Now, I'm not saying that you may ever hear an audible voice from heaven say, don't do that or make sure you do that. But when you're in tune with God, you're going to know. It's going to be inescapable. You have to allow him a chance to speak. But the other way that he speaks to us, God, write it down, God provides us with a community to redirect us through a community. See, God needed to give David and Abigail. David, whom the Bible describes as as a man after God's own heart, would have committed a terrible sin if God hadn't provided him a voice of reason. See, David, the anointed king David, needed a housewife from the pages of obscurity here to redirect his actions. See, God gave David a taste of church. God has given the church to us as an instrument through which he answers prayers. I want you to think about that for a moment. God has given the church as an instrument through which he answers prayers. Should we pray for guidance? Yes, often. Should we read God's word? Yes, every single day. But we have to recognize that our prayers will often find God's response to the wise words and the actions and the counsel of other Christian brothers and sisters. Which makes sense if we think about it because if we are the temple of the Lord, if the Lord abides in us, then could it be that when you are spoken to by somebody here in this church, another fellow Christian, could it be that the Lord himself is speaking to you through them? Yeah, it could actually be the voice of the Lord. It was with Abigail. There's no doubt that God used her. If left to ourselves, well, you know, we make terrible decisions. Too many terrible decisions have been made by Christians because we have isolated ourselves away from good counsel. See, if we come to a crossroads in our marriage, in our finances, in our jobs, instead of seeking the Lord in prayer and seeking him through scripture and through counsel, we often just plow ahead and try to take care of our things ourselves. And we become a product of our own foolishness, just like Nabal. See, none of us here are so righteous that we are without a need for community to correct us and offer us counsel. God gave us the church because we are better together. What would have happened to David if Abigail wasn't there? What would have happened to Abigail if she wasn't brave enough to talk to the king, to King David? See, aren't we glad that he sent her into his life? Aren't we glad that God often uses one of his children to speak some sense into us as well? 
So who's your Abigail? Who are you allowing to, to speak truth into your life, even if it's difficult news to hear? Be part of a Sunday school class. Be, be part of a, of a small group. Be part of a ministry where you give those people permission to speak into your life. If you're not part of that, you need to be. We need our community. We need our church. We will never reach the kingdom potential that God has for us outside of the church. It doesn't happen that way. And the other question is, to whom are you their Abigail? Whose life are are you speaking into? Who are you praying about and then offering them wise counsel? You need to be the Abigails as well. In just a moment, we're going to have uh, two of our teenagers are going to come and they're going to be baptized. They weren't able to be here a, a couple weeks ago, but God spoke very clearly to them at NYC. And uh, through hearing their stories, there were some Abigails that spoke truth into their life. And I'm so glad God sent them. And I'm so glad that these two teenagers listened. I also want to invite uh, Kevin Long is is coming up. If you don't know, Kevin just recently got back from Cuba, not Cuba the town, Cuba the country, and was on a work and witness trip, and something miraculous happened to Kevin. Would you give him time and uh, just put your hands together for Kevin today? What? Yep. There you go. Is this on? Yes. Good morning. All right. The other day, Pastor Brian, he texted me the other day, want to know if I could give a one to two minute quick testimony on what God has just been laying on my heart. And it it just, it's a beautiful thing. Um, It all started several years ago. I was sitting right back there. It was Pastor Brock's last sermon. And my phone went off. And it was a customer that needed towed. But anyway, I'll just go through this real quick. So, this pastor, his motorhome had broke down, and he's from the Cincinnati area. And God took that broke down motorhome and has just turned this into a, it's a beautiful story. I mean, it's only you can put it. Um, I've become great friends with this pastor, and I watch him every week online. He has done just fantastic things through this relationship, and it's all God every single time. So several years ago, he went on a mission trip, and he had come back, and he, he wanted us to pray about it, and I was watching it online. And so I donated to this fund, and that night he sent me this three-page text, thanking, thanking, thanking me for this, and then at the end of it, get your passport, you're going to Cuba. Well, that wasn't what my intentions were. I just wanted to give money to help him out. <laughs> It wasn't, and I I prayed about it, and okay, got it. Thanks, God. I'm going to Cuba. So a couple weeks ago, I met up with Pastor Ben and several other guys from his church, and we went to Cuba. I've never experienced communism or a foreign country. Wow. The people were so nice, and yet they have so very little. And God touched me in the fact it's, it's not the materialistic things in life. It's 
they have family and they have God. What more do we really need? So we went to several churches there, and 90% of the churches are just like a little, it's a house church. They'll open up their living room, and you have church there. And the way these people preach and participate in church, it's not a golf class service. These people are praising at the top of their lawn. It's deafening. I didn't understand it. It's all Spanish, but you, you felt the Lord. It was just a very, very unique. So I, I, I had some time to talk to Pastor Ben, just one-on-one -on -one down there. I knew that they were doing baptism. And I talked to him about it, and all of a sudden he stopped me like mid-sentence. He goes, You're, you want to get baptized, don't you? Yeah. So after all the water was running down to my eyes, I finally got him out to the, I was ready to get baptized. The only thing that held me back was my wife and my kids weren't going to be there to witness it. But I was okay with that. We videoed it. So. so on the last day in Cuba, there was approximately 30 of us that got baptized in the Gulf of Mexico. I waited patiently at the end of the line for my turn because I didn't want to be disrespectful to them down there. They were beautiful, beautiful people. So I got baptized by Pastor Ben, Pastor Yami, who was the leader of this mission down there in Cuba, and two others, and you can't describe it. Um, it was a beautiful, beautiful moment that I will never forget. And that's the quick watered-down version of this. So for the two of you about to get baptized, Cherish this moment, and I can't wait to see what God has planned for your lives. Thank you. She's just a blessing to this church, a blessing to me, and we're just so happy that we get to baptize her today in front of all of you. Amen. Amen. Um, I think really my decision to be baptized kind of started at NYC. Um, for everybody that was there, I think everybody can say that it was hard to go and not be changed in some way, shape, or form. Um, just having so many people there for the same reason. Um, especially being in high school, going to school, you don't really see anybody being that outwardly kind to anybody or anything like that. Um, and I think it really all started here. I was JC's first group of kids here. I'll forever brag about that. But <laughs> um, I think this church has really helped me so much. Um, and to be baptized here really means a lot. So, yeah, I'm excited. Amen. Amen. If you're here uh, supporting Maya, would you stand today? Thank you. We're going to have Pastor Shelby go ahead and say a prayer for Maya. Yeah, Lord, we can be this morning. We lift Maya up to you. Her life, 
um, this yes moment in her life um, where she's saying, you can have it all, Lord, from here on out. And what a blessing that is that she will never have to live another day of her life without you in every moment of it. Um, And we don't take that lightly, Lord. Uh, The people that spoke into her to get her to this point, I just pray that you keep rising up people in her life forever to keep speaking into her, to keep speaking truth over her, um, that she knows that it's not just August 20th, but it's forever with you. Um, And just the blessing that that is, we're so grateful for who she is, her heart for you, and the unique giftings that you've given her, Lord. I just pray that you continue to use this moment, this yes, to leverage those gifts um, for your good, because that's what she wants. That's what she's saying yes to, Lord. And I just, I thank you for who she is, the gift to PFN, to Pekin High, to her cheerleading team, to her family, to everyone that she encounters, Lord. And I just pray that you just help us come behind her and support her and celebrate her um, in this decision today. In your name we pray, amen. 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 Maya, do you confess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Yes. And are you going to do your best to follow him every day of your life? Yes. All right. You ready? Mm-hmm. All right, Maya. Okay. Maya, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Careful. Slip. Slip. Don't go down prematurely. All right. (laughs) All right. This is Owen Wolf. He's going into his junior year at Pekin High. Um, Owen's been here his whole life. Um, I'm officially old enough to say that I've known him since he was a baby. Uh, So that makes me feel kind of old, but it makes it extra special today to be up here uh, with Owen for this big day in his life. Um, Because he's been here so long, I think he's known about Jesus for a really long time. Uh, But the growth that I've seen in him the past few months um, is just indicative of knowing Jesus and growing in relationship with him. Um, I was thinking about just a couple things that came to mind when thinking about how Owen's grown these past couple months. I think I've seen more joy in his life and more peace. And it didn't take me too long to realize that that's the fruit of the Spirit coming out in his life. Uh, So that was pretty cool to, to see that, you know, his commitment to God is showing up in his life already super young and uh, has so much of his life ahead of him and just can't wait to see what that um, does. I'm super proud of you, Owen. I'm excited to be in here today and super honored to, to be able to help baptize you. Amen. Man, you got some words? Yep. So uh, the thing for me wanting to get baptized also started at NYC. Um, there's this uh, sermon about mirrors, which was like anything that's taken away your attention from God. So for me, I thought like, all the things I do, like that are, I could be spending time with God instead, like if I'm hanging out with friends or going to the gym or whatever, uh, just even being at school, not, not like looking at my Bible, not praying, whatever, it's just, I need to, I realize that I need to give that stuff up and uh, focus more on God, so that's when I decided that I want to get baptized. Amen. Awesome. Amen. If you're here to support Owen, would you stand? Let's give him a round of applause. Amen. Pastor Shelby, we pray for Owen. God, we also lift up Owen to you this morning in his yes. I just pray over these specific mirrors that he mentioned. Can you just turn those into your, your mission field for him? Um, from mirrors to mission field, mirrors to mission field. That's what I just keep feeling. Um, whether it's the gym or Pekin High, 
or anything else that he feels like. Um, just make it his mission field, God. That's what he's saying yes to today. He wants um, you to be the forefront of his life forever. And I just thank you for that yes. Help us come behind him and support him and continue to um, listen to you as he makes next steps in his life. And we're just so thankful that he's a part of this church and this community. Um, thank you for this yes. Thank you for giving him his giftings and his talents and letting us see those grow. Um, thank you for this day and let this day be a reminder for him always that it's you and him forever. Amen. 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 Thank you. So Owen, are you here to confess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Yep. And are you going to try to do your best to serve him all of your days? Yep. All right. Let's do this. Okay. You ready? Yep. All right, Owen. I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads. I'm going to dismiss us in prayer today. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you send us those Abigails in our life. Those people, Lord, who uh, allow us to have that pivot point. And so, Lord, we, we thank you that uh, um, for Owen and for Maya, for Kevin, that you provided them that Abigail and that uh, moment in time where they could take that pivot. And now today to come to you and, and to say, yes, you are my Lord and I'm going to follow you and I want everyone to know about it. Uh, so, Lord, may your blessing be upon them. May your blessing be upon uh, PFN as we continually strive, Lord, to serve you. Uh, Lord, uh, we, we love you. We thank you for who you are. And it is in your name that we pray. And all of us say together, amen. Amen. Have an incredible weekend. We love you.